we come uh, now to Lord's Day 29 of the Heidelberg Catechism. There at the top of page 12. And uh, once again, we're on week five out of six that are devoted to the sacraments. So once again, we take these very seriously because we recognize in them a means of grace. These are sacred ordinances given by Christ himself, and they are especially connected to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So if you want to know what um, true spirituality looks like, it involves the right use of the sacraments. So we come today to question and answer 78 and 79. Let's read these responsively. Do the bread and wine become the real body and blood of Christ? No. No. Just as the water of baptism is not changed into Christ's blood and does not itself wash away sins, but is simply a divine sign and assurance of these things, so too the holy bread of the Lord's Supper does not become the body of Christ itself, even though it is called the body of Christ, in keeping with the nature and language of sacraments. Why then does Christ call the bread his body and the cup his blood, or the new covenant in his blood? And Paul used the words, a participation in Christ's body and blood. Christ has good reason for these words. He wants to teach us that just as bread and wine nourish the temporal life, so too his crucified body and poured out blood are the true food and drink of our souls for eternal life. But more important, he wants to assure us by this visible sign and pledge that we, through the Holy Spirit's work, share in his true body and blood. As surely as our mouths receive these holy signs, in his remembrance, and that all of his suffering and obedience are as definitely ours as if we personally had suffered and made satisfaction for our sins. Amen. Let's go to the Lord now and ask for the Holy Spirit to illumine the doctrines of the Christian faith. Our Heavenly Father, we ask you to look upon us in grace as we look away from ourselves and into the face of your Son, whom you have appointed our Mediator and Savior. As all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in him, guide us by your Spirit into the true understanding of the doctrines of Christ. May our meditation upon his truth produce in us the fruit of righteousness, to the glory and exaltation of his name, the instruction and edification of this congregation, and the salvation of the lost through our witness. We pray this in the name and favor of your well-beloved Son, Jesus Christ, in dependence on his Holy Spirit. Amen. We've been learning about the sacraments and what we confess from the Word of God about them now for the last several weeks. And our catechism approaches this topic in a way that is meant to avoid extremes. And to stick to Scripture's way of handling these sacred rituals. One way that the Catechism does this is by asking a very straightforward question, both about baptism and about the Lord's Supper. And 
these two questions could basically be summarized like this. Do they work automatically? Do the sacraments get the job done automatically? So here, we're jumping back a few weeks. Question and answer 72. This was on baptism. And the catechism asks, does this outward washing with water itself wash away sins? And then today we have a a parallel question in our dealing with the supper. Question and answer 78, which is on your liturgy. Do the bread and wine become the real body and blood of Christ? So you see that the straightforward question that's being asked. Does baptism and do the Lord's Supper, does the Lord's Supper, do these things work automatically? In both cases, the answer is no. We said that in, in the answer to 78. No. These are signs, sacred signs. They're divine signs and assurances. If that's the case, then, why does it sound like the Bible is actually answering yes sometimes? Why does it actually sound like baptism and the Lord's Supper do automatically or perhaps magically the thing that we are wanting to receive from it? How come the water of baptism doesn't wash away sins and the Lord's Supper does not become the body and blood of Christ when it sounds like Scripture is saying so? So about baptism, question 73 of the Catechism. Why then does the Holy Spirit call baptism the washing away of sins? And here in question 79 about the supper. Why then does Christ call the bread his body and the cup his blood? So we're hitting this straight on. Why does the Bible talk in this manner? This evening we're going to see why God the Spirit speaks to us like this in Scripture. And then we're going to see how this way of teaching, how this way of speaking that is, teaches us what we truly receive in the Lord's Supper and what good it does for us. Those are divided up in the, uh, the outline that's on your order of service into three. It's basically two points. The last two are kind of together, just to signal that for you. The first thing we have to talk about is how do we talk about communion? How do we talk about it? Because the way that we speak about these sacred rituals is very important. When Jesus instituted Holy Communion, and by this I mean when he made it to be a new covenant sacrament, he held up ordinary bread, and he said, this is my body. And then he held up a cup of wine, and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. It is very important for us to recognize that Jesus is speaking in a particular kind of way. Question and answer, 79, ends by saying it like this, that this is in keeping with the nature and language of sacraments. So what we're learning about here tonight is sacramental language. We are learning how to talk about communion. We are learning to talk about it as Scripture talks about it. And to understand what kind of speaking this is, let's look at a handful of examples from both the Old and the New Testament. In Genesis 17, which we looked at when we were talking about infant baptism a few weeks ago, God commands Abraham to be circumcised and to do the same to all the males of his household. Verse 11 of that chapter in Genesis. God calls circumcision, here's the name that he gives to this ritual. 
He calls it the sign of the covenant. The sign of the covenant. But he goes further than that. God himself says in verse 10, This is my covenant. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And again, verse 13, God says, So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. See, that's a different manner of speaking than just saying it's the sign of the covenant. It is that. But God says something beyond that as well. In other words, in Scripture, sometimes the symbol that is given, in this case, circumcision, is talked about simply as a symbol. It's a symbol and it's talked about as one. So it's the sign of the covenant, God says. But sometimes the sign is called the thing that it is signifying. It's called the thing that it's pointing to, the thing that it symbolizes, the thing that it represents. It's not just the sign of the covenant, but God says that circumcision is the covenant. My covenant shall be in your flesh as an everlasting covenant. This is sacramental language. When the sign is used to refer directly to the thing that it signifies. When the outward symbol is being spoken of as the inward grace. We see the same kind of thing again in our reading from Exodus chapter 12 on the Passover. The term Passover technically refers to an event in redemptive history... When the angel of the Lord spared the households of those who had put lamb's blood on the doorposts and on the lintel of their doors. So the Passover was an act of salvation from God to spare and to save his people. But there is a symbol, a sign that is attached to the ceremony. Uh, that, that, that is to say, there's a sign that's attached to the event. The sign that is given in this instance is the lamb, the sacrificed lamb. God says in Exodus chapter 12, verses 11 and 12, and 12, about this lamb, he says, you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. The sign is the lamb. The thing signified is God saving them. But sometimes the Bible speaks of the sign as though it is the thing signified. And the Bible doesn't apologize for doing this. This is how the Holy Spirit has chosen to speak. That is sacramental language. Again, Paul does this in 1 Corinthians 10. In the wilderness, after the exodus... Moses was leading the people through the wilderness. They were thirsty. God said to Moses, strike the rock and water will flow out for the people. And that's what he does. Paul now looks back at this event and he says, For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Is Paul saying that the rock turned into Christ? Transformed into the Son of God? No. This is, again, sacramental language. 
So we're really laboring over this point because it clarifies for us what the sacraments are to us. The rock was the sign. Christ was the thing signified. And yet Paul says the rock was Christ. By drinking from this rock, they participated in Jesus Christ, the Son of God from heaven. They were refreshed not just by water, but by Christ who gave them the water. And those who drank by faith participated in Christ. This is the kind of thing that Jesus was doing in the upper room. When he held up bread and said, this is my body. And he held up a cup and said, this is the covenant in my blood. And because the Bible so consistently spoke in this manner, especially about the Old Covenant sacraments, the Old Testament sacraments, there's no reason to think that the disciples thought of it in any other way than sacramentally as they had learned in their scriptures. They certainly could not have believed that that very night in that room with Jesus, the incarnate word standing in their midst, they could not have thought that the bread and the cup were transforming into his body and his blood when he was standing there before them. They understood this to be like circumcision, like Passover, like the rock in the wilderness, a sacramental way of t- about talking of the sign and the thing that is signified. That by participating in the symbol, you participate in the thing that it is pointing to. That is sacramental language. And then it, it raises then the question for us, what do we receive then when we celebrate the sacraments? If this is true, what are we actually taking in? Is it merely a symbol? You know, there's different ways we could talk about a symbol. Maybe one way we could talk about it is, is thinly. A thin symbol is basically, you know, kind of arbitrary. Um, I could pick any old thing in my house and say that it reminds me of some memory. So it's a symbol of that memory. You know, I made it up on the spot. Is that how the sacraments work? Um, is it something more? Does it uh, transform? Do the elements of the sacraments transform? In the history of the church, we recognize that many well-meaning Christians have said that the bread and the body become, meaning they're transformed into the body and blood of Jesus, and that's how you receive Christ. But again, that would mean that we're actually not taking Jesus at his word. He says, this is my body, not this becomes my body. He says, this is my body, which is sacramental language. He does not say this becomes my body when you eat of it. On the other hand, many have said, and maybe this is more, I think this is way more prominent in in our neck of the woods, that it's just a symbol and nothing more. It's just a symbol. But again, that would mean that Jesus has kind of instituted an arbitrary symbol. One of my mentors, uh, his name's Dan Brenzel, he used to say something like this, that if it's just a symbol to get us to think about Jesus dying on the cross, then why don't we just think about Jesus dying on the cross and forget the meal? You can think about the crucifixion without a sacrament. That's easy. 
So it cannot be that Jesus has given us an arbitrary, or as the Belgian Confession calls it, an empty sign. The sacraments tell no lies. They proclaim the truth and the beauty of the gospel to us. And they offer Jesus Christ. So if we could just think about it, then why don't we forget the meal? Uh, The answer, again, is that sacraments are not empty and they do not transform. But a sacrament is the sign and the thing signified, joined together by the powerful word of God. As we said several weeks ago, Paul talks about baptism in Ephesians 5. And he says it is the washing with water The washing of water with the word. That's what a sacrament is. Elements united with the word. And therefore pointing us to the thing that they signify. All right then. The question becomes, what then specifically are you receiving? If it's not an empty symbol. And if it is not transforming into the body and blood of Christ. What are you taking in? The answer actually is the body and blood of of Jesus Christ. We read John chapter 6 last week and our conclusion was that Jesus said, if you do not eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. We must feast upon Jesus Christ, blood and his body. We must. The, the, the answer to that dilemma is not to say that the bread and the wine transform. It's to say that We receive it in some other way. Now, I want you to recognize that this is the way that our tradition has pointed us. This is the direction and the pressure that our tradition applies because we are fully convinced that this is what the Word of God teaches. Question 75 from the Heidelberg Catechism. It says, So surely Christ nourishes and refreshes my soul for eternal life with his crucified body, and poured out blood. Meaning, what we are receiving is that body that was torn upon the cross. And the blood that we receive is that blood that was shed upon the cross. Question 79. His crucified body and poured out blood are the true food and drink of our souls for eternal life. Belgic Confession, our great confession of faith, Article 35 says we do not go wrong when we say that what is eaten is Christ's own natural body and what is drunk is his own blood, but the manner in which we eat it is not by the mouth, but by the Spirit and through faith. Here's how our communion liturgy says it when we celebrate this sacrament together. While remaining bread and wine, these sacred elements nevertheless become so united to the reality they signify that we do not doubt but joyfully believe that we receive in this meal by the Spirit, through faith, nothing less than the crucified body and shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not by a transformation of the elements, but by the Holy Spirit's power and through the instrument of faith. We come resting in Jesus Christ finding repose for our souls in His perfect work on the cross. And when we come with that faith, the Holy Spirit guarantees that what you consume in your soul in a spiritual manner is the true natural body and blood of Jesus Christ 
unto everlasting life. When you come to the table of the Lord, brothers and sisters, come with joy that the Father makes you a participant in his Son. Not just a thinker about his Son, although that's good too, but a participant in his Son. And by the Holy Spirit, you are brought to Jesus, who is enthroned in heaven, welcomed to his table, and he himself feeds you with his most precious body and blood. He is the source of eternal life. And his body and blood are the true food and true drink for our souls. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God, you build your church on the foundation of the doctrine of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. And so we pray that you would bless our congregation to grow in their teaching. Assist us in meditating with joy on your mighty acts. Enlighten our minds more and more with the light of the everlasting gospel. Kindle in our hearts a love of your truth. Nourish us with the full counsel of the word of God. Enable us to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And defend us from the sins of heresy and schism. And as we have heard the true doctrine proclaimed to us, By your great blessing, may it be preserved now among us and propagated through us by our lips and our lives to the glory of the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.